It is certainly good to see you all this morning. Thank you all for being here. We have many visitors that are with us. We appreciate you all coming our way. We have begun a new year. It's always a time for reflection, a time to um, think about the events of the past year and to look forward to what's coming up for us in the new year. We often make New Year's resolutions. Uh, we often uh, think about how we might improve ourselves. Something in our life that's lacking somewhere that we can make improvements. And so we take this time as a, as a fresh start, as a new beginning, uh, to commit ourselves to doing those things. And usually by February, we're done and we're back to our old, our old habits, right? I want to speak this morning about this idea, about uh, indeed a happy new year. We um, see, and I'm going to use a few examples from scripture here, that this idea of, of a new beginning is not lost with our God. In fact, if you think about it, um, our God is, is always ready for new beginnings. He's always ready uh, to welcome those back who have strayed from the flock. He's always ready for those who uh, are seeking the truth uh, can find it in his word and can indeed begin a new life, a life as a Christian, a life as a child of his. He's always willing for us to be able to make a fresh start and is so exemplified by the very idea that as a child of God and when we sin and when we ask for forgiveness, not only are we forgiven of those sins, but God says, I will remember them no more. Isn't that a blessing? And as we become a child of God, as we're buried in the waters of baptism, those sins get washed away. The, the, the sins of, of the life that we had led to that point are washed away. We get to walk in that newness of life as a new creature. So our Lord, our God, is, is all about new beginnings. So this morning I want to look at a few things and, and use just a couple of different examples to, to make our point as we, as we go through. And what I want us to look at is the idea of, of God's view of a new year. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to use the... the the, uh, the event, the festival, the, the feast of the Passover to make a couple points here as we go forward. In Exodus chapter 12, we have the Passover instituted. We won't read all of these verses, but I wanted to point out a few things to you. And this is, I come here often um, because I, I have come to appreciate so much about the Passover. And, and we, as we discussed in our Bible class this morning, the things under the old law and how they point to the the things under the law of Christ. Here in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. So right away we see uh, that God is declaring a new year. And why is he doing so? Well, he's doing so because we know that they have been in, in Egyptian bondage here for hundreds of years. And the time has come now for them to come out of bondage. The ten plagues have, 
are, are about to be, the last one here is about to be instituted. It's already been called for. It is, that is the plague of the, of the last born. <laughs> the last plague of the firstborn. <laughs> Get that right. Where the, God is going to go through and he's going to strike dead all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And he institutes the Passover for his children and says, if you will put blood on, on the lintel, on the, on the side and on the top of your doorposts, I will pass over your house. And that will not come to you. That, that plague will not come to you. So this is the institution of the Passover. And he gives his, his people clear instructions on what they are to do. It says in the, there in verse um, um, 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel on the tenth of the month. You are to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. So they take on the 10th, they're to take the, the lamb. And on the 14th, we come down to verse 6, it says of the same month, they are to slay it, and then they are to eat it as the Passover meal. So it gives them clear instructions on what it is that they are to do. And he expects them to keep his commandments. It's always been God, God's expectations that you do what I say. He expects them. He doesn't just speak uh, out of wanting to hear his own voice. He speaks to his children with the, uh, with the understanding that they, that they will do what he says. Just as the case with the Passover. Instructions on how to take it, how to eat it. And he expects his children to keep his commandments. If you come down to verse 14, it says, Now this day will be a memorial to you. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So it was not only to be celebrated and kept year to year, but it was to be kept as a permanent ordinance. As long as the law, law of Moses was in place, they were to keep the Passover. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But in this, I, I hope what we can see is, and what we can appreciate is a, is a new beginning. Remember, they had been in terrible bondage in, in Egypt. They had been slaves. They had been forced, uh, forced labor. They had been treated very poorly. And God heard their cry. And he raised up Moses to lead them out of, the, out of, out of Egyptian bondage and into the promised land. And it, with this Passover, this is them coming out of bondage on their way to the promised land. So this is indeed a new beginning for them. As the Passover is established, it's set up as a memorial for them to remember this very time when they were in bondage and God brought them out and would deliver them into the promised land that he made to Abraham. So in this, we can see that a new beginning has indeed been given for the children of Israel as they come out of bondage and into freedom. Once they get to the promised land, they're going to remember this feast. Look over in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5 here, we, we know from, from the Bible story that Moses has passed away. He would not enter into the promised land. It was going to be Joshua that would take him into the promised land. And by the time we get to Joshua chapter 5, he has done that. They have crossed over uh, the river and they have crossed over into... Um, the promised land. And there in chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Now when the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. That ought to ring in our ears just a little bit. The tenth 
of the first month. Remember, we read that back when the Passover was established. They were to take the lamb on the tenth of the first month. And then come over to chapter 5. In verse 10, it says, While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. So there's exactly 40 years from them coming out of Egyptian bondage and entering into the promised land. And we know that by the occasion of the Passover. Exactly 40 years they entered into the promised land. And here they have another new beginning. Why is it 40 years after they left Egypt? Is it, is it a 40-year journey from Egypt to Canaan? The answer is no. It's not a 40-year journey. The answer is, of course, Bible students know that because of their sin, because when they got to the promised land and were able to see it, and they sent the spies into the land, and they came back and said, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take it. God punished them for their unfaithfulness. It says you're going to be forced now to wander in this wilderness for 40 years until this generation dies off. And then you'll be able to enter into the promised land. So that's why there's a 40-year gap here. Not because of anything that God failed to do. It's because the people failed him. But here's another new beginning. So now they have made it through all those trying times and they are um, about to enter into the, the land that has been promised to them, to their father Abraham. In this, there's a part of God's providence that ends as another one begins. Look there, if you're still in Joshua 5, verse 11, picking up. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, and parched grain. Notice verse 12, and the manna ceased on the day that they had eaten some of the product, uh, some of the produce of the land. So the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. You see, they've been given manna all this time in order to, to, to fortify their diet, to give them something to eat as they're going along the way. When they come into the promised land and they start to eat off that land, which was promised to them also, the manna stops. So God's providence in sending the manna ends as his providence of giving them the promised land begins. And so what can we take from that? We can take the idea that we can trust that God's going to keep his promises. Yes, there's a 40-year uh, gap in this, not because of God, but because they failed him. But even in that, we see his long-suffering as he provides for them all along the way, even giving them food to eat. So we can trust that God will keep his promises. And it's such an important thing as a child of God, as a believer, that we understand that God has made certain promises and that he will keep those promises. One more stop on our journey in the Passover. Go with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, 
We see our Lord keeping the Passover. Remember that back there in Exodus chapter 12, uh, the command there was that this was to be observed through all your generations. It is going to be established. It is to be observed through all your generations as a permanent ordinance. Come to the New Testament, and here's our Lord. He's keeping the Passover. As they're gathered there in the upper room, taking the Passover, verse 14 of Luke 22, the hour had come, and he reclined at the table with his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, this is, uh, Take this and share it amongst yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. In this, what we first see is Jesus' desire to keep the Passover. We, we learn so much from our Lord, not just in the things that he said, but the example, the things that he did. The example that he left for us. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. You see, Jesus, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but what? But to fulfill the law. So even in the very end of his life, and this is Thursday night going into Friday morning, the day of Friday where he'll be crucified. And he says, I have earnestly desired to keep this. Even at the very end of his life, he was fulfilling the law of Moses. And as our Bible study we pointed out this morning, with the ending of the Passover, he institutes the Lord's Supper, ushering in the law of Christ. Closing out the law of Moses, ushering in the law of Christ. And like his father before him, he uses one to usher in the other. He uses that, the idea of the Passover to usher in the law of Christ. And there's an important connection there. We talked about this in our Bible class this morning. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 Paul says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. So Jesus serves as our Passover. He is the one on which the sins of the world were placed. He has been sacrificed once for all, as the Hebrew writer says repeatedly. Once for all, he made that sacrifice. And in so doing, he has made it possible for us to be forgiven our sins. He would become the Passover. What can we draw out of this? Well, some very important, very simple lesson that we can draw out of this is that we need to be thankful to Jesus for his sacrifice. Sometimes I think we, we might lose sight of it. We, we get wrapped up in, in timetables and, and events of the, of the day and what Jesus said. We need to come back to have an appreciation for the sacrifice that he made. Leaving heaven. Being born on earth in the form of a man. Being tempted in all ways. Yet he did not sin. And then he was put to death. A very cruel, very torturous, shameful death. So we need to have an appreciation for that. And we need to be thankful to our Lord for doing that. And that is the gospel message. Paul says there in 1 Corinthians about, uh, in, in chapter 2 and verse 2, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the simple message of the gospel. So we'll do well to remind ourselves to be thankful for the sacrifice. And as we spoke, at, gathered around the table, 
We come here every first day of the week to remember that. So let's remember it, and let's be thankful for it. Because without it, we have no hope of salvation. One last year I want to, to discuss with you this morning, and that's the favorable year of the Lord. Go with me to Isaiah 49. I want to trace this a little bit, as I often do, um, looking at prophecy and then fulfillment of prophecy that we see in Scripture. Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 8. It's, it reads, Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, and I will keep you and give you a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make, the inherit, uh, make them inherit the desolate heritages, saying to those who are bound, Go forth, to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roads they will feed, and the pastures will be uh, all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, neither will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to the springs of water. God has chosen the time that, that he would pour out his blessings. And Isaiah is writing about that. He's writing about this favorable year of the Lord, this time that God is going to give us another new beginning. He's going to give the whole world a new beginning. And that's a time when he's going to pour forth his blessings on all mankind. Go over to chapter 61 of Isaiah. Similar language here, similar thoughts about the time that is coming when this is all going to take place. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to, com to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. There's that time out there that Isaiah is prophesying of, a time coming, the favorable year of the Lord. There's reference in here, the idea of the, the year of the Jubilee. When that all things would be restored, that's the, uh, the time that we'll, the captives would be led free, land would return. That was to be celebrated as, as a jubilee. But there's other far-reaching application to this as well. Look with me over in Luke chapter 4. As I mentioned, I like to trace these threads. I love to see how the prophecy so long ago is fulfilled and how Scripture points us right to it. And this particular instance is very poignant because our Lord is directly involved in it and just how this all plays out. Let's read this. This is, to me, it's so intriguing. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. 
It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and began teaching in the synagogues, and was praised by all. This is after our Lord had been tempted by the devil, and he is now going about and preaching and teaching. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and to recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Think about the scene that's there. He has gone, he's gone into the synagogue to stand up, and he's going to stand up to read, which I think is a wonderful thing. And they hand him the scroll, and I, I see, as he says, he, he, he opened the book and found the place where it was written. I love just the idea of the Word of God, Jesus Christ, reading from the Word of God. And so he quotes there from Isaiah that we read back there in chapter 61 to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And as he is reading this, we understand the connection. That the prophecy of who this would be, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it says there in verse 18, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now our pronouns line up, don't they? Who is the me that it was talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 20. He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And, I, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. I just love the scene. I think about what is taking place. And this is the clincher. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today, scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah said there's going to come a time, the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus says, today is that day. Today, scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I have come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives. Recover sight from the blind. To set free those who are downtrodden. Isn't that Jesus' mission on earth? Didn't he do those things? And that's the favorable year of the Lord. One more scripture I want to look at. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Russ read this for us a minute, read this for us a minute ago. I want to read it again in this context. And Paul echoing the idea here about when this time would come. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. Working together with him, we also urge you not to receive uh, the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. And look what he says. Now behold, is now behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul again echoing the idea that God has poured forth these blessings 
that he said, the prophet Isaiah said so many hundreds of years ago that he would. There's that idea of the promises and God keeping those promises. And our Lord and the Apostle Paul tell their listeners that the time is now. That God has accomplished this. That he has done that. And you read Acts chapter 2, as Peter stands up to give that sermon there, he lays it all out and says, now is that time. Jesus Christ is the man through which these blessings will come. With all that in mind, let's talk about what our New Year's resolution should be. Many of you, it's only, what, the fifth? So maybe you haven't had your major New Year's resolutions yet. Maybe you can add to them and some thoughts that come from today. But think about these things. Maybe we need to appreciate, first of all, the new beginning. This is indeed a new year. It's a time that we can reflect. It's a time that we can look forward. What have we done in the past that we want to make better? What can we do in our lives to better serve God going forward? As we, as we pointed out, God was all about, it is all about new beginnings. He's ready for each one of us to lay down the old life and to pick up the new life. So we can appreciate new beginnings. We can appreciate that God has uh, spoken of those things and, and spoken in, in such a way that we can indeed put off whatever it is in our past and walk in newness of life. And we can trust in God to keep his promises. So as we're making our New Year's resolutions, we might scratch our head and say, well, what has God promised us? Well, he's promised us a lot of things, hasn't he? In John chapter 14, beginning verse 1, Jesus speaks about his father's house having many mansions. If it was not true, I would not have told you. I go, therefore, to make a place for you that I may receive you to myself. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That our Lord has gone before us to prepare a place for us. So how might that affect my New Year's resolutions? Well, God has made a promise. If I'm obedient to him, that there awaits a place for me, a wonderful, beautiful place, in the Father's house. So I might want to adjust my resolutions to say, you know what, that's where I want to be. Whatever it takes, whatever it might be in this world, whatever I might have to put aside so that I can be in the house of the Lord forever. That's a worthy resolution. We need to be thankful to Jesus for his sacrifice. We might make a resolution to that effect. We might make a resolution that I'm going to come every first day of the week to remember, to memorialize the sacrifice that Jesus made so that I can indeed be thankful for it. So that I can live a life worthy of such a sacrifice. That might filter its way into our resolutions. What can I do uh, to be thankful to Jesus for the sacrifice that he made? We need to recognize the favorable year of the Lord. I, I hope you appreciate, as I do, the beautiful connection in the, in the book ending of, of that prophecy. Of, of There's coming a time when God is going to pour forth his blessings. He's going to uh, do these things for mankind. And then Jesus says, 
Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There was a promise and there was a fulfillment. So we need to recognize that, that God has indeed brought forth that favorable year of the Lord. In all these years we have left, speak to that. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 1 he says, God has spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. The favorable year of the Lord continues, shall we say. He has poured forth his blessings upon all mankind. And we can still benefit from it. We can still hear the gospel and respond to it. It's the same gospel. It's the same message that the apostles were going forth and spreading into the world. That's the same message that we hear today. What was it we said a while ago? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel message. The favorable year of the Lord continues because he has poured forth his blessings upon us. And Jesus is in that place, that throne seated at the right hand of God. And the, and the blessings continue to be poured forth in that we have a way in which we can be redeemed from our sins. And that is God's ultimate plan for man. All the way back there from Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, the rest of the Bible tells us about how God redeemed man from his sins. And we can be a part of that by being obedient to the gospel call. A hearing about Jesus Christ and him crucifying and believing the message and understanding that we need to make a change in our life. Understanding that there are things in this world that I need to turn away from because they are not pleasing to God. And I need to turn towards him. I need to repent of the life and of the sins I've had in the past. And then I need to recognize through some of the things we've talked about here, about who Jesus Christ is. He is that one who has sacrificed. He is our Passover lamb. Only through him can we come to God. And we have to tell everyone that we recognize that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. And upon that, we are a candidate then to be baptized. When Peter is asked there in Acts chapter 2, after he makes that, that impassioned sermon there, that impassioned speech about who Jesus Christ was and the very fact that you have put him to death. And the people there that heard, some of them were, were cut to their heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's when Peter tells him to repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Recognizing what they had done, Peter tells them they needed to be baptized. And there speaks to what we've been talking about, a new beginning. To go down into the waters of baptism, to come up a new creature, to walk in newness of life. It's a new beginning. Those sins are washed away. God remembers them no more. It's a chance for us to walk in newness of life. 
What an ultimate <laughs> New Year's resolution to be freed from sin. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to study, to know, to appreciate what Jesus has done for you and to be ready to be uh, buried in the waters of baptism. We can help you with that. If as a child of God you're not living according to God's word and according to his plan for us as his children, make that right. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.